Friends, did you ever sit down to do something having an idea that it would be a certain way? And then when it was over, it was way different than you expected. If that has happened to you, then you know what I felt like when I got done recording this episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 481 of the Juicebox podcast. If I seem like I'm not as enthusiastic as I usually am, I'm doing something a little differently this week. I'm getting ready to go away with my son for a few days, so I'm editing a ton of episodes and getting them ready to, like, they're going to go up automatically because I won't be here. And I'm having trouble, like, you know, bringing the Zoom Zoom for every one of these intros and outros. So I'm not, a, uh, am okay. Anyway, this episode is really cool. It's Carrie. She's the mom of a type one. She's a veterinarian. She's the person who handles all the type one animals in her practice. And somewhere in this episode, she told me something that I didn't expect to hear. And it made it really a full conversation, much more than I expected. I really appreciated it. Please remember while you're listening that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. This show is sponsored today by the glucagon that my daughter carries, Gvoke Hypopen. Find out more at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juice box. The episode is also sponsored by the Contour Next One Blood Glucose Meter. It is, in fact, the most accurate, easy to use, easy to carry, easy to read blood glucose meter that I have ever personally held, used, or talked about. I am not kidding. Contournext.com forward slash juice box. And I'll tell you this too. It's a really great website. It's not you know, when you get on a website, you're like, who made this? Like, did the person who made this website, had they ever been on the internet? You ever have that feeling? You will not have that feeling at contournext.com forward slash juice box. I'm holding up my hand like they do in court because I am telling the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. I am Carrie. I'm a veterinarian and just general practitioner. And um, I see... A lot of cases, and I tend to get a lot of our diabetics <laughs> because obviously we all know it's a pretty complex disease on the human side and equally complex, but a bit different on the animal side. So a lot of the other doctors I work with are sometimes intimidated or, or frustrated with the cases. So I, I, uh, I see a lot of them. And what's your connection personally to type to diabetes? My daughter is 14 and she was diagnosed at age seven with type one. Okay. Um, so we're not going to say your daughter's name. Is that right? Yep. Correct. We'll just Please. say your daughter. That's how I'll handle it. Um, okay. How old was your daughter when she was um, not how old, excuse me, but what was the care like when she was diagnosed? Seven years ago seems like you might have been pump CGM time. Yeah. So um, when she was diagnosed, it was 2014. And we got the Dexcom a um, couple months in, and it was not in the cloud. And then, 
somewhere along the way in our first four or six months, we got the super expensive little base station so that when she was sleeping, it would the data would get sent um, to me, my phone, and whatnot. And that was super exciting. And then seemed like shortly after that, um, it all just ramped up into total the app and the receiver and the cloud and all that. And so then she went on a pump probably like six months after diagnosis. Gotcha. Um, we started with Animus and moved to Medtronic and now T-Slim. And I feel like we've uh, experienced a lot of the technology. <laughs> We're running the gamut <laughs> on the pumps. Uh, one thing, I think either your hair or jewelry might be brushing the phone. Okay. I know that sounds probably crazy, myself. but, um, and I have a Dexcom cradle right in front of me. Do you? Of all the old stuff that I've tossed that, you know, becomes, you know, unnecessary as the years go by. I can't seem to get rid of this one thing. Um, yeah. Because it it worked out so oddly that, I mean, Dexcom clearly produced these cradles because they thought it was going to take longer than it did yeah. to get that next device approved. Yeah. I feel like it, I remember it being pricey. I don't know, 100, 200, 300, I don't know. Right. And then within months it was useless because things things were better, but I mean it was it was worth it while I had it, I guess. <laughs> I imagine them all over desks at Dexcom with business cards in them. So <laughs> that's how I say it in my head. But yeah, I mean for people who um don't go back that far, it was absolutely insane, right? This little thing came out and you would take your Dexcom receiver, slide it into it and it somehow then attach it to the cloud and somebody could follow you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yep. It was such a big deal. Just such yep. a big deal. And you could only use it really at night, right? Like it was kind of by the yeah. bedside feeling. Yeah. It was too complicated to like get it to school. And we had our teachers trained um, to monitor. And yeah, so it was just by our bed. But it was such a great thing to be able to just sleep and wait for the alarms. And then, yeah. yeah. Do you wonder now? Most people probably don't even know there's a receiver. They just use their phone, I would imagine. Yeah. That's fascinating. It really is. And then the, the part that, of course, was uh, both kind of uh, frustrating if you paid for it and otherwise is that, that the new receiver that kind of had the chip built into it that could go to the cloud. It, it, oh, my God. It couldn't have been three months, maybe, and it was available. Yeah, yeah. that's what I remember. It was super quick. I'm <laughs> like, well, that was a big investment for a couple months. <laughs> <laughs> but oh well. I completely, I totally remember that. So, um, in that time, I guess I want to know a little bit about your, you know, your ideas around management. Like, I mean, seven's pretty young. I imagine you were pretty involved with your daughter. Yeah, for sure. Um, and because I am medical, I mean, I just jumped right in. I totally understood it. And she was so young, and it was first day of summer break, so I ended up spending a lot of days that summer going on her little field trips, the summer camp field trips. And, um, I just hardly let her out of my sight. The, the, um, um, manager or whatnot at the daycare she was with learned diabetes. No one there had ever had it in their recollection in recent years. So she took it on and helped me out quite a bit, but any field trip, dosing for carbs, you know, this and that, I was always there. So, um, and then we were fortunate enough when she entered second grade, we had the most amazing teacher ever of all my kids years at school. And she like took it on like a second mother and, um, she was amazing. So, 
Um, so it, it went pretty well, all things considered, yeah. <laughs> as, as much as pretty well could be. Yeah, no kidding. Um, <laughs> you could ex- yeah. expect in something like this. What Did you take to it pretty well? Or did you find yourself yeah. wishing she had kennel cough? Because that you understand. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it, it was different. I mean, it's managed very differently in animals and humans. So, but I understood all the science behind it so easily. And, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's way different. I feel like we manage animals uh, like we did 20 years ago. I remember, I remember a type one diabetic, um, kind of a friend of a friend back when I was in college and like they were, doing, you know, twice a day shots and carrying a cooler. I remember going to Cedar Point and they had the big lunch cooler and, um, you know, the glucometer and no, no remote, you know, no CGMs. And he had multiple seizures. And I just felt like um, it was so poorly managed 20 years ago compared to humans today. And unfortunately, that's kind of where we are with animals, not because we're behind the curve, but because it's just not super realistic to do all the intense carb counting and CGMs and all that and all the animals. You just made me, you just really made me focus on the idea that back then with like regular and MPH and those, those kinds of Mm -hmm. insulins that, that, that probably, I, I wonder like if you spoke to a doctor behind the scenes back then, if they were just thinking, how will this person's pancreas stop working? So we're just going to do our best to keep them alive for as long as we can until stuff starts going wrong. Because that's yeah. that's the vibe with the dogs, right? Or, and, and the animals? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, we, yeah. I mean, we do the best we can twice a day dosing. And um, we have started playing, some of us have started playing around with uh, the freestyle Libre or whatnot. And I've only had one client religiously try it (laughs) but i keep begging clients to try but yeah i mean we just for lack of better terms we somewhat wing it um i don't have owners do um blood sugars at home very often because they get too worked up on you know a blood sugar of 300 they all of a sudden want to increase insulin but you know we we don't we have a much wider curve yeah on our dogs and cats than some well-controlled humans, not necessarily my daughter these days with hormones, but, um, you know, they can fluctuate 100 to 300 and be pretty acceptable. We hardly blink an eye if the average is okay. So we don't micromanage it as much. Um, so yeah, we just kind of do the best we can and, um, educate the owners, but obviously it's very overwhelming for many of them. And we try to dumb it down almost to, um, you know, reduce their stress and yet still do the best we can for the animal. So yeah. Carrie, that's, um, it sounds, it sounds, um, sad, I guess is the word I want. Like, like I, the understanding that there's this thing, but I guess that really is medicine in general though. Right. Isn't it like we're getting better and better at it as time moves forward, but a lot yeah. of it is maintenance. Like just, yes. and when you mean maintenance, you mean maintenance, trying to stave off something whether it be yeah. right a problem or the end or whatever it is you're just trying to slow the progression to this thing um, yes and you can, can you tell owners of pets that or is that not something you kind of freely share um I mean I'm always very optimistic that you know we can give them a relatively normal life the the hard part 
the hardest part probably is some of these dogs are just picky eaters and to, to have an owner at home kind of treating blindly without regular blood sugar checks, blood glucose checks, you know, and all of a sudden the dog doesn't want to eat breakfast. What do they do? And, you know, to try to give partial doses and to educate them on all that. So I try to just encourage them that, um, you know, we're going to do our best to give them a pretty happy, healthy life. And one of the biggest fears is the needles and even the most scared clients realize the needles, no big deal. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I try not to overload them with all the heavy potential negative stuff, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, you know, men, a large portion of the dogs develop cataracts. So I, I do tell them that right off the bat dogs more than cats. And, you know, I tell them they're going to be frequent visits back to see me and it's, it's not cheap. Um, it's paying, you know, full price for insulin and, um, the blood tests, you know, without most of them don't have insurance. And so I kind of prep them that it's a little bit of expensive disease, but you can do it and (laughs) they're going to feel great. And, um, you know, there may be complications down the road, there may be shortened lifespan, but we'll, we'll deal with each one as it comes. And, um, I try to keep things as light as I can, but still, you know, this is something to be taken seriously and, we can do this together. We're a team. Call me anytime. Yeah. And, Try to make know. them feel a part of like the the process of doing a good job. I yeah. Imagine. Yeah. How do you get a cat or dog to drink a juice box? <laughs> That's all I can think while, oh. while you're talking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So our go-to is like caro syrup or maple syrup on the gums. Um, you know that that sort of thing, and and call us if they're not coming around in the five, 10 minutes. It's fun. It, it's funny how the problems, uh, are mimicking both sides. Like I've, uh, two dogs and one of them, mm-hmm. one of them's older and there are some mornings, you know, like the process, you know, the morning goes exactly the way it goes every time. And he comes back in from out back and he's like, Oh, the man put the food down and he comes over and he eats the food. And some days he looks at it and goes, not now. And then he goes over and lays back down, which he never did when he was younger. And mm-hmm. I'm trying to imagine I'm trying to imagine talking a dog into eating, I guess is the thing yeah. I'm trying to wrap my head around. And and it's making me think back to when my daughter was young as well. So it's hard when they're picky eaters. And you know, a lot of these dogs, uh, like schnauzers are notoriously type ones and are, you know, diabetics. Dogs are more often type one and cats more often type two, mm-hmm. interestingly enough. Um but you know, these little dogs are not always big eaters. Labs are prone to it. Um, also, and that usually goes well because they, they eat anything you give them. Um, but yeah, some of these little ones, one of my most intensive cases is a, um, a little Chihuahua and Elvis, he's an old man and he's had cataract surgery and all kinds of stuff. Um, she's the one actually who tried the, the, the CGM, the mm-hmm. Libre. And, um, he, yeah, so she's mastered it because she is all in as most of us are, parents to type one. So we're all in and we're micromanaging. She, she lives her life to manage this dog's diabetes, I swear. So, um, what's my point? Oh, he's not, he's not the best eater. So she's, you know, always trying to finagle what he eats and she's well aware of all the complexities of carb counts that I don't overwhelm most of my clients with. Mm -hmm. Um, so she knows like what's high carbs, low carbs and how that affects his insulin needs and, 
Um, but yeah, when they're not good eaters, it's hard. Wow. So it's, it's a battle for them for sure. So I, I'm sorry, you, you've, you've got me off. You've got me off kilter a little bit because I literally am just picturing someone on their knees with a handful of kibble going, just have five of them. Just please eat five. Of them. <laughs> <laughs> I gave you your insult already. How long does it take the dogs and cats to get used to getting a needle? Honestly, they don't notice it. Okay. Uh, they do great. So I have the owners, um, if possible, I have them feed twice a day, dose twice a day. And I tell them, and every vet does it differently. Um, and I've tried to coach my clinic vets to kind of do it similar to me because there's such differences. I've seen, I've seen um, some vets say, oh, dose them an hour later. And, you know, I, I use the food as a distraction. Once it looks like they're eating most of their food, just give the full dose. And most owners are shocked that the dogs never, and cats too, never even act like they feel it. Um, so they do really well. And it's done a little differently. We don't use the pen needles. Um, we actually tent the skin and kind of angle it 45 degrees with a more traditional insulin syringe. Although I had one schnauzer that was vicious to the owner and they literally had to kind of just dart the dog <laughs> um, as it walked by. Um, his name was Lucky. <laughs> you know, you should never name your animals Lucky because it never works. It's always the opposite. But um, uh, well, yeah, you, so may I, I know we'll get back to this in a second, but it puts you in the position of, of, of tending to a dog who's passing away and having to turn to somebody who loves it and goes and tell them yeah. lucky's gonna die like, yeah right, luckies are n- they're never lucky ever oh they're the hit by cars they're the bad diseases but yeah this dog i the only patient in 20 years of practice that i've ever had use the little pen needles and like literally just dart him as he walks by mm, that's really great. <laughs> um and it worked she kept him alive for quite a while um but yeah, they don't notice the needles. Honestly, they do so well. Yeah. You know, the owners are more freaked out, but we demo it. They can kind of see it's not a big deal. Yeah, we have them give them some saline um, as a practice once, twice, three times, whatever they're comfortable with. And they go off on their own. And almost every single owner is shocked how easy it ends up to, to actually inject so- to them and the pet. So I have a question okay. that you said that you, you, when you brought up type two, it made me think. So in the, I mean, how many years do I have to go back into veterinary medicine before no one would ever consider giving a pet insulin? Yeah, good question. Um, I mean, my whole 20 years, we've all been on board. Okay. I don't know. I still have clients that occasionally request euthanasia uh, when they're diagnosed and it just breaks my heart because it, it's close to home. And, yeah. um, I just, I've done, I've probably given in and done two maybe in recent years, but I do everything I can to talk them out of it. And, um, yeah, I don't know at what point, you know, it progressed through to a little more effective treatment in the animals. I would assume it's been quite a while. I mean, if it's insulin's been out, um, do, do you imagine that, and I'm, this is me guessing, so if I'm wrong, you stop me. But do you imagine that people who are able to seek frequent and regular care through a veterinarian for a dog are in a better financial place than other people? And does that not make us believe that people who can't afford it still have pets? 
Um, so yes and no. Okay. Funny enough, we, we, my practice is like the edge of a big city. And mm-hmm. so we, we pull in clients from the wealthy suburbs, inner city. I have learned through the years, you cannot judge where they live, what car they drive for anything. Um, we have, you know, clients with the fancy cars. Um, I mean, no offense to anyone listening, <laughs> but they're just absolutely appalled that I asked them to buy a hundred and ten dollar uh, Lantis pen. We use the pens and cats as a vial, basically, mm-hmm. um, so they don't have to buy a three hundred and eighty dollar vial of Lantis um, to use two units twice a day. We we buy packages of the pens and break them up and sell them for one hundred ten. And um, I mean, people are just absolutely upset either with us or with, you know, insulin, crazy pharmaceuticals in general. And then we have, you know, people driving beaters and um, just not looking as well to do and they don't blink an eye and they'll do it. So I've learned long ago, like not to prejudge anyone. You lay it out there and, um, you know, yeah, yeah. So do do people ever like how harsh does it get? Like you said, they'll they like has anyone ever said you you want me to spend one hundred and ten dollars on something that cost me twenty bucks? Like is does that ever get that harsh, or do they not say that to you? Um. So what do you mean? So what do you mean the hundred and ten that cost me twenty bucks? Oh, that, like yeah, like I think there are some insurance? people that don't know. I think there are some people that don't see a cat. I think they see it as a belonging sometimes, and not a animal yes. does that make sense and now you're yes. suddenly like here let's spend a lot of money to medicate something that you paid twenty dollars for at some point like that oh i see what yeah, you mean. Yeah. yeah yeah absolutely um and again that goes across the whole range mm-hmm. like wonderful parents you know they shoo the kids out of the room they're like we're not doing this <laughs> we'll go get them another cat next month or you know whatever right. and, and vice versa um you know, it's, uh, yeah. I mean, people just range. I've had so many people say, Oh, I grew up on the farm or, you know, we never treated our cats and dogs. They lived to be 18 and, you know, we don't need to do this. And, you know, you know, again, just recommend what's medically best, but veterinary medicine has evolved to be more intensive and more high quality. Um, it's, we're actually, um, building a new building right now and we have someone trying to sell us on a ct scanner because that's the norm for dentistry it's better we thought we were doing great because we had dental x-rays but now the norm is to ct that the jaw mm-hmm. and it, it's just things are evolving so much you know yeah. um just better care better technology and as a result often higher bills and people do it they love these pets and um you know, most of them will do whatever it takes. They may complain, <laughs> um, but we, we, my practice is always pretty good at kind of giving them options. You know, diabetes probably isn't a good example because there's not a lot of options. You treat it or you don't, but right. you know, if, if you dog's vomiting and it's prone to foreign bodies, but you're pretty sure it didn't get into the sacks today you know if you want to just treat for a virus and wait for an x-ray that's your choice or you can spend you know 180 bucks for x-rays and see if there's a sock in its stomach so we kind of give plan a plan b and so many people go with the full workup and i mean they they want to take care of their pets it's lovely 
Really, I'm trying to decide what the number is for me not to take care of my kid. Like, I'm like, what number would someone have to spit out before I went, I don't like him yeah. that much. <laughs> I, I'm sure there isn't one, but it's a very, it's, well, what I'm thinking too is that you don't get into veterinary medicine, like, by mistake, right? Like, you, you weren't, like, yes. trying to decide whether or not to be an accountant or a veterinarian. This was a calling for you, I would imagine. This isn't much of a cliffhanger. I mean, Carrie's going to say that veterinary medicine was a calling. I mean, can you imagine if she didn't? Can you imagine if she was just like, oh, no, I hate animals. That is not what happens. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. You'll find out all about that in a second. For now, I need you to know this. Gvoke Hypopen has no visible needle and is the first pre-mixed auto-injector of glucagon for very low blood sugar in adults and kids with diabetes ages 2 and above. Not only is Gvoke Hypopen simple to administer, but it's simple to learn more about. All you have to do is go to gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juice box. Gvoke shouldn't be used in patients with insulinoma or pheochromocytoma. Visit gvokeglucagon.com slash risk. I wish you all could have been here the day I learned to say pheochromocytoma. It was hilarious. Anyway. I need you to go to contournext.com forward slash juicebox. Why are you going to do that? Well, it's easy. When you get there, you're going to find a blood glucose meter that is accurate. You understand? It's easy to use, easy to hold, easy to read, has a nice bright light for nighttime viewing, and it has second chance test strips. Second chance is exactly what it sounds like. You take a chance, dip it in the blood, right? What other ad in the world do you hear dip it in the blood as part of the words? You put the test strip in the blood and say you don't get enough. Uh Uh-oh, that was your first chance. Now you get a second chance to go back and try it again without interfering with the quality of the test. And you don't ruin a strip. Not bad, huh? Plus, the thing's easy to use. I love it. I mean, as much as you can love a blood glucose meter, I love this one. That's That's an accurate and honest statement for me. I mean, you know, like if you said to me, Scott, what do you love more? Sunny days or blood glucose meters? I'd be like, oh, a blood glucose meter's good. I could do with or without the sun. But I mean, if it got down to my family and you're like, Scott, here's your wife and a blood glucose meter, I'm going to go with Kelly. That's not the point. The point is, I love this meter. And you may too. You may also love a lot of the things going on at contournext.com forward slash juice box. So head over and find out. They have a test strip savings program. A lot is going on. It's a really, I I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, I don't mean to jump around in the middle of the ad. I'm sure right now the people at Contour are like, could you stay on topic, buddy? We're paying you here. But I am. Um, It's a great website. It gets really well laid out. It's easy to find. And there's a ton of information on it that's not overwhelming or confusing. It's worth your time. Contournext.com forward slash juice box. You know, I got a bit of time left here in the music, so let me just say this. Find me on Instagram. Find me on Facebook. I'm Bold with Insulin on Facebook. I'm Juicebox Podcast on Instagram. And the private Facebook group where there are now 11,000 users, a lot of them active every day. It's a jumping Facebook group full of cool people talking about type 1 diabetes. It's called Juicebox Podcast Type 1 Diabetes. That's it. You go there and you chat with other people just like you, other listeners. 
100% free, nothing to do. Just, it's, you know, ask, answer a couple of questions, make sure you're not a robot or somebody trying to sell t-shirts or other scams. That seems to be a big thing in the diabetes community. People come in and they go, oh, I, I have diabetes and look at my brand new t-shirt. Isn't it amazing? And they just take a picture. I'm gonna keep talking here for a second because this really pisses me off. So I'm just gonna take a second uh, to share it with you. And I mean, pisses me off is harsh. I don't know if it pisses me off. It's just, it's a well done spam. Do you know what I mean? So somebody takes a picture of themselves and they're like, I have diabetes and I know how hard it is and it is hard and my shirt says that I'm tough or whatever. I don't know what the hell the shirt says. And then they don't, they don't like pimp it. They don't put a link up, right? They're not like me. They're not like juiceboxpodcast.com. They, they don't do anything. They wait for someone to say, oh, I love your shirt. Where did you get it? And then they're like, oh, oh, oh let me just give you this link, which goes to their store. These people don't have diabetes. They're preying on you. They're trying to sell you diabetes t-shirts. Now, if people want to sell you a diabetes t-shirt, they should just tell you, I'm selling you a diabetes t-shirt or I'm selling you another t-shirt. That's fine with me. I'm all about capitalism. I'm good with that. But don't try to trick people. Don't try to make it look like it's one thing when it's not. I don't like that. So anyway, I try to keep those people out and I do a pretty good job of it. So don't be afraid to check out the uh, Facebook page. Well, this was long-winded, wasn't it? Let's get back to Carrie. This was a calling for you, I would imagine. Yeah, I wanted to be a vet my whole life. And, you know, of course, growing up, all your friends do too. We all did at one point, right? Probably. But they drifted away to other things. And I you know, I was a senior in high school or junior, whatever, applying to undergrad. I'm like, yeah, I've never thought about anything else. Maybe I should. So mm. I looked into, um, of all things, architecture <laughs> and um, special ed. And I thought, well, those are cool careers, but no. I want to be a vet. So, um, and then went on from there and some people, cause vet school is kind of hard to get in depending on the school. The average is one out of 10 applicants. Um, so some people after not getting in, move on to like the human side. Cause I don't know if it's good or bad, but it's easier to get into med school. Um, but I couldn't do humans. Humans are kind of gross medically and, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, luckily I got in, so I didn't have to think about what else to do or how many times would I apply. I got on the first try by some miracle and um, here I am. I have, I have to say that the first time I saw a veterinarian express my dog's anal glands, I thought she really loves <laughs> this. Like this is her calling. There's no way she's just doing this for med- for money. Like there just can't be, <laughs> you, you know, like yeah, I don't yeah, imagine. There's some gross parts. Luckily, <laughs> we're pretty well staffed, so we delegate out to your skill level and what you're trained at. So my unfortunate technicians get to do most of the anal glands. <laughs> <laughs> Unless they're busy and I don't want to wait, then I'll do it. But um, no, I just, yeah, I, no. I, I was asking because, I mean, I would think that a person who I'm guessing loves animals as much as you, who went into a profession to keep them healthy, that when someone mm-hmm. says to you, hey... I don't want to give this thing insulin. Let's just let it die. Or can you put it to sleep? I don't imagine that you see much of a difference between that. And, and if I were to come up to you and tell you, you know, we're not going to bother with your daughter. She's a lot of work. Like, I don't think you, Yes. I, I would, am I right about that? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, and you know, my, my partners, my associates, they, I think they accept that request easier than me. Mm -hmm. I'm the only one with a type one family member. Um, 
like, cause it is pricey and it's high stress and it's, um, high maintenance. And, you know, so when an owner is just not willing, um, you know, I, I find my, we are all in it to help the animals, but we also have a lot of really emotional, hard things every day. Um, of, of people who don't want to treat something or people who, um, you know, think it's a charity and their dog was hit by car and they need free surgery. Uh, you know, it, it's a very emotionally draining career. It's not all petting cute dogs and cats and saving their lives every day. There's a lot of human emotion and, and ranges of quality of care and willingness to be compliant. And, you know, a lot of, difficult stuff with like guilt trips or blame or this or that. So anyway, um, I find the other doctors, you know, if they diagnose a diabetic and the owner is just not willing, they sadly agree versus I put my foot down and like, (laughs) absolutely not. Am I euthanizing your dog? I can't, I cannot, I cannot. We are going to treat it. We're going to find a way. I have um, to tell you, I did not want this to turn into a therapy session for you, but the whole time, this is where I've been heading. So just so you, so you okay. know, because I really felt like, how is it possible that she can, like, I didn't think you could disconnect that feeling from your personal life. And like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I couldn't, I just don't know how. If, um, I mean, I, I've been a pet owner most of my life and I can and I, I can't fathom how somebody would just be like, oh, it's sick. Well, forget it. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't understand that. But I'm also not, um, I don't know how to put this. Like, I'm not a crazy pet owner. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like, I, yeah. like I think there's a line, like you're saying, like, I, I kind of believe if my dog got hit by a car and I brought him in and he looked really bad and you said this is going to cost $10,000 and he's probably going to die, I might be like, ooh. You, you know what I mean? Like, that, that probably would hit me, but that would be because... I feel like that would be because of the money if I couldn't afford it. I think it's just a weird thing to look inside yourself to try to decide, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. I mean, it's a daily battle and, and it's hard. The owners, it's hard on owners too. Like you said, you love your dog. Can you do 10 grand? And there's a guarded prognosis. And I mean, it's hard on them. And most of them are very, um, understanding of the situation we're put in and we come to a decision together, but there's, there's a lot of tough points where, you know, they, they don't agree with, you know, our estimate or they feel that this is an animal and we're we're in it to help animals. We're obligated to do whatever it takes. And why are we trying to make a fortune? And, you know, you know, so there's, there's hard stuff and there's owners, you know, that just don't, understand why it's such a big deal that their dog has a, you know, a a tumor that's probably malignant. The sooner we get it off, the more chance that we can prevent fatal outcomes. And now they're just going to watch it. And, you know, so we have to go with that. That's Mm. their choice. And we have to go home at night and let it go. And it's, it's, it's a hard, it's hard thing sometimes, but I, I've learned through the years and this may sound cold, but I love these animals. I love the science, but I have emotionally distanced myself a little bit from the bond that these animals have with their owners and the owners lives. And I, I try, I try to be very thorough, very friendly, very helpful, but I try not to get too connected or too bonded to some of these pets. And there's always those ones that sneak through. And I, when they die or when they're sick, I cry like it's my own child, but 
But um, I think that's what's hard in our profession. Um, we actually have a very high suicide rate. We're ranked the highest in, in all professions, apparently. And it's like three times what an average American is. And wow. um, yeah, it's it's a very emotionally difficult uh, career because of all that stuff. So I, again, it may sound cold, but I, I kind of, I still yourself. absolutely love my job. Um and I find it's because I enjoy the animals, I enjoy the science, but I I try not to get too attached um, to each individual patient because I just, you, you can't handle it. You can't keep your chin up and deal with all these tough decisions and financial limitations. And, um, you know, it's just, it's tough. So yeah. I, I do the best I can. But again, certain patients get through and certain causes like diabetes gets through <laughs> and I am absolutely attached to every diabetic patient I have. And, um, yeah. Are but, you the, are you the diabetes doctor? Like, is it, is it that simple? Like you just hear calls but, from other rooms like Carrie, this one's yours. Yeah. Yeah, yeah pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because, uh, it's a endocrinology is super tough. I mean, it was my hardest class in vet school. Um, and it's, it's complex. All the hormones interact with each other and everything else in between. And, um, you know, as general practitioners, we treat everything and we treat minimum of two species, um, cats and dogs in, you know, small animal practice. I do some exotics too, but, um, so, you know, you have to know everything possible about the heart and the kidneys and all the endocrinology and mm. musculoskeletal and we do surgery and neurology. And so, yeah, these doctors who aren't living type one, like I do with my daughter, yeah. They're like, okay, I have this diabetic dog. The dose is this. And oops, I don't understand why his blood sugar is not well controlled. Carrie, <laughs> help, help. Come, please come help <laughs> yeah, me. All right. I'm, I'm starting to wonder if everybody's endo doesn't feel that way. If they're just, <laughs> <laughs> That's true. They're just like, I wish I could call uh, someone else to come in here and help you. Um, yeah. are, are there any odd animals that get diabetes? Like, I, I assume not frequently, but what's the weirdest um, one you've seen? I've diagnosed a couple guinea pigs. Um, and other than that, I don't know. I mean, I'm assuming every animal can, but um, we we mainly just do cats and dogs. Um, and, you know, back in vet school, we had to learn six species. Um, the exotics were kind of separate from that, but, you know, uh, cows and goats and horse and sheep and uh, let's see, cows, goats, horse, sheep. Yeah. Cats, dogs. So those are the six. Um, and I remember some endocrinology from the rest of them, but not a lot. <laughs> I, I have to be honest with you. And I'm embarrassed. I can't believe I'm going to admit this. People shouldn't don't get a podcast. Cause if you don't tell people the truth, they won't listen. And you said guinea pig. And I thought, well, there's, there's my line. I found it. <laughs> I, I, I really did. I, I was like, yeah, okay. I don't, I don't know that I could buy hundreds of dollars worth of insulin for a guinea pig. It's, I think you may have yeah. found my line. I um, I'm I'm really not just embarrassed. I'm ashamed, and yet I'm saying it. So no, yeah, it's no. fine. Yeah. yeah, and that's that's the thing because I do see exotics. I have a lot, uh, a lot more clients probably that. Um, what am I saying? I mean, the, the ones that will bring a guinea pig in mm -hmm. with a urinary issue and actually pay surgery to remove a ladder stone, <laughs> it's shocking. <laughs> but think about how many households have 
hamsters and gerbils and guinea pigs yeah. and rabbits. And you know, I don't see 99% of those. Right, right. I mean, they all stay home and when they're sick, they, the poor little kid holds them and cries and they die. Yeah. But you know, the ones that come in, those owners will do anything. Do you think <laughs> um, this might because, be a, oh, I'm so sorry. I cut you off. Yeah. You know, no, you're fine. Because they do make the effort to come to the vet to begin with versus most owners do not. And that's understandable. I mean, that's part of our job. I'm not going to make someone feel bad because they don't. Yeah. Choose to do something. Unless it's diabetes, then I will make it. Then you will. Then you will. Absolutely. (laughs) So if any of you out there have a diabetic hamster or gerbil and you're not getting it treated, this person is not going (laughs) to let you off the hook, just so you know. (laughs) Um, Did you feel this way prior to your daughter's diagnosis? How was it different prior to that? Um, as far as like veterinary medicine and the overall, no, I mean, with the di- yeah, with the diabetes specifically in animals, like, like 10 years ago, if somebody's dog had type one and they were like, ah, I don't want to do this where you just like, eh, all right. Or, or like, you know what no, I mean? Cause I, I've always been, so I have this theory that vets get into veterinary medicine for one of three reasons. And I think it, we all start off with a high compassion for animals, but almost equally common is the interest in science. And, um, and the third is money, but believe it or not, we are a very low paid profession compared to other doctorate degrees. <laughs> and that goes all the way through our entire staff, technicians, everyone. I mean, when I graduated, but I got off track, but when I graduated vet school, the average starting salary was 45 grand. Um, at Ohio State, there was four doctorate programs, and the next highest, I think, was dentistry or whatever it was. It was ninety. Mm-hmm. So that gives you an example. It, it's a very low-paid profession. So a lot of people feel we get into it for the money, but we don't make awesome money compared to human MDs and whatnot. Um, so anyway, back to my my philosophy on this. <laughs> a lot of us are in it for the science too. Um, so I definitely feel like you know, I'm equally compassionate for these animals and science. So I always loved like the internal medicine stuff. I actually um, had myself all set up um, to kind of uh, become a specialist. I was hoping for internal medicine. There's two tracks to be a specialist in veterinary medicine. You can do the residencies, you know, and work at the vet schools or the, um, you know, the referral hospitals, or you can kind of do an in-clinic. You almost self-study for boards and Mm -hmm. you have to have a couple mentors that are specialists. You have to present case studies and stuff like that. So I always loved all the science and I was definitely not an expert on diabetes, but I enjoyed all of that stuff Mm -hmm. a lot. So I had my timeline. I had my mentors. I had one of my two case studies to apply all that stuff set up. And I love school. I miss school. I miss learning. I was super excited had my books ordered. <laughs> you are exactly like my wife, by the way. Like this is yeah. How, yeah, my wife has a is a biology major, and she mm. she very much was was on the way to going to medical school when some things in her life kind of threw her sideways. But she talks about science and and the medicine. And she also thinks people are icky. I don't I, I don't think she ever would have been a doctor who would have practiced on somebody. <laughs> Um, yeah just can't do it but I was all set and then my daughter was diagnosed and it just took the wind out of my sails so I still claim to be kind of the nerd of the group um (laughs) I kind of have a very informal title of medical director I love I love implementing new things and learning new things I'm the one who reads every magazine that comes through I'm the one who actually enjoys going to CE, continuing education. So I love all that stuff, but I don't think I'd, I don't 
predict I'll ever have the uh, energy to go through the, <laughs> the but, but program. If I, if I said to you, money wasn't a necessity and you could do whatever you want right now, you'd go back to school. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I know your type. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't want another profession. So I, I would just have to be a specialist. And yeah, I don't, I don't have any other desire to do anything different. Maybe like business school, because it is, there's so much in veterinary medicine that's business oriented that um, we just don't learn. They're implementing more business classes probably a very small amount, but in vet programs these days, but there was zero when I was there. So that would be maybe interesting, but more so would just be to specialize and um, learn more stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I, I, <laughs> I, I can hear it. Trust me. I, I know your world. I know at least this part of you. That's for certain. I, I'm, I'm up to <laughs> Can we um, shift gears for a second to something you said back in the first couple of minutes? Uh, sure. Talked about uh, I, I think you were alluding to things have been tougher management wise for your daughter since hormones. Does that seem like yes. where you were headed? Um, what are you seeing? Is it just generally blood sugars that are just generally higher than normal, worse spikes? Um, yeah, the reg- yeah, the regularity of it. Yeah, all the above, mm-hmm. higher blood sugars, irregularities, and honestly, pr- I would say the biggest problem is just she's 14 and she doesn't want to be bothered (laughs) and she's not total uh like debbie downer about diabetes she actually more days than not admits that she kind of enjoys it she has like tons of awesome friends she loves camp um you know she's proud of her hard work on it Mm -hmm. she loves the tight relationship she and i have we're a team you know so but can I bother her to like pre bolus for a meal? Oh, it's the end of the world. Um, or, you know, if I'm not there to nag her, you know, she's at a friend's house or at her dad's house or whatever. All of a sudden she's three fifty. I text her. Did you eat? Did you bolus? Oh, no, I forgot. <laughs> so I think it's one, it's hormones and just what that does to all the Again, endocrinology is complex. Yeah. Everything works together. So how it's affecting everything, but also just the the teenage blase attitude of oh, whatever, I'll be fine, mom. Yeah. Yeah, my A1C is 8.2, but it doesn't matter. It's fine. No. And you're <laughs> like, like it's no, not, it's not. <laughs> it's not fine. You're I, killing yourself. I got a schnauzer yeah, so, named Butch living better than you over here. This is not okay. <laughs> Right? Yeah. Do you take A1Cs from pets? How do you know you're doing okay? Just because it's alive? (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, we, I mean, we just, we question and monitor. Um, So the best test we do is fructosamine for dogs and cats. Checks, like I tell owners, it's a lot like A1C because so many owners are familiar with that, you know, and, and it just gives us the two to three week average basically um you know and i question them do they drink a lot do they pee a lot are they maintaining their weight you know just stuff like that and if they're happy and perky and fructose means acceptable we check it off as a win how do you um do their lives get shortened is there any way to know if they're if they're losing a little off the end or yeah i mean statistically they they kind of do yeah um just because I don't think we can regulate them as well as 
hopefully most of us are on the human side, unless you have a 14 year old stubborn girl. <laughs> but um, Yeah. I, I think their lifespans are shortened. I would say so. Okay. Um, just it, it takes its toll on the body for sure. Can you kennel a dog that has like, like I'm trying to imagine like, how do I go on vacation if my dog has diabetes? Like, will a, will a kennel give injections? Some of them maybe. Typical kennels won't. Um, so in our area, we have um, we have a couple like pet sitting services that have registered techs on staff, and they can do you know home visits. We do medical boarding. We don't do regular boarding, but any of our clients that have intense cases like seizure dogs or or diabetics, we'll, we'll do medical boarding and manage them there. But then that implements a whole other problem of the eating. You know, a lot of the dogs and cats don't want to eat well when they're there. The stress is changing their numbers. And, you know, so it's, it's hard for a It's exactly the same for a dog or a cat as it is for a person. Yeah. Yeah. So it's hard on the owners. There's some owners that have like an amazing neighbor who can give shots or, you know, whatever. Um, so, you know, there's, there's creative ways to go about it, but it's hard. It ties them down for sure. And then you want them to be pretty close to 12 hours apart, which how many of us are home exactly 12 hours apart every day of our lives. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Hey, can dogs do inhalers? No. Um, well, we have, I have not heard of any inhaled insulin going for dogs yet. Um, we do inhalers for asthma and cats (laughs) so i've not actually thought of that i wonder if it'll evolve to be um a cat treatment or even a dog treatment but yeah as of right now i have this is the first i've ever thought of that or heard of it no Um, i just was sitting here thinking if somebody can make it happen it might be you and i i didn't (laughs) physically understand if like a animal could do an inhaler like because like yeah the idea of an inhaler is you know to push the button and then breathe yeah (laughs) So we have those, those chambers for us, they're called arrow cats. Um, and I can't, I don't know what they're called on the human side, but I know like my son had one for his, he had like temporary asthma when he was younger and the, the, those little tubular chambers with that little rubber mask at the end. I see. Um, so yeah. So when we use like flow vent or something for asthma for cats, um, dogs don't tend to get asthma. So I've never used an inhaler on a dog, but cats, um, yeah, we, we just kind of hold that little mask up to them, shake it up and hold their little and push the <laughs> push the little plunger and let them take four or five breaths and they're done. So well, yeah, I don't know. Let I mean, me now you give me a yeah, yeah let me put you... this right here just in case. If anybody out there ever finds themselves giving their cat or dog a Frezza, I did it. Okay. <laughs> I made it happen. Because this might be years from now. It might take a while for my idea to get through the through the mainstream. But I'm taking I'm taking credit for this right now, March 31st, 2021. <laughs> <laughs> it's an interesting idea. Now I'm going to have to look into it. <laughs> I swear, if this ends up happening, I would like a procedure named after me. You, you, know, you and I can get together and decide on the name later. Um, all right. Yeah. So, uh, what do you? Do? I know this is going all over the place, but I'm having a good time. By the way, thank you for being chatty. I think I could have started this off and gone, "Hey, everyone, this is Carrie. She's a vet, and her kids got diabetes." And then I could have maybe left the room and come back. <laughs> Because you are so good at this, <laughs> so thank you. Okay. Yeah, no, please. Um, so now I'm 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 gleaning from our conversation that you have like a split. You know your your daughter, your kids go back and forth between two households. Are they with you more than they are in the other place, or vice versa? Yeah, they're with me maybe like 
three-fourths, two-thirds, three-fourths. Okay. Yeah. So that presents its own management issues, I would imagine, right? Because you don't think about diabetes. I mean, nobody thinks about it exactly the same way. So I'm imagining your ex and you don't have the same ideas about it. Yeah. Okay. That's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> Sorry. I don't want to get you into a fight on a podcast, but okay. And so uh, I've done I've done episodes about uh, divorce and diabetes and they're um you got to find the exact right person to want to talk about it and and I did once actually a guy came on he was terrific and his ex-wife said he could talk about it and everything he was so like good about it but the point is is that he had one management style and then his his ex did not have the same understanding of it and so mm-hmm. i'm wondering when you're when when a child's already kind of like eh i don't really i'm not all that interested in this does one household make that easier than the other and then does that put you in a weird position where you want to say something, but you feel like it's not your place, but you know it is? Yeah, absolutely. And luckily, um, my kids didn't have to split households till like a year ago. So, you know, if if it, if she was seven or eight, and uh, I think it'd be super hard. But mm-hmm. um, but I mean, she has her phone. She she knows it better than him. I don't. I hope he never listens to this, but. <laughs> she knows the whole disease and everything she needs to do better than him. She knows how to change her pump site or CGM better than him. Mm-hmm. So I kind of just work directly through her while she's over there. Yeah. And once in a while I've had some, um, you know, some issues where I can't reach her or this or that. And I have to reach out to him and um, you know, he says he's on it, but you know, humans have different opinions and <laughs> of what on it is right uh, but yeah luckily again she's a trooper even though she doesn't want to be bothered a lot of the time she she accepts at this point her diagnosis and her her need to take con- con- care of herself and so i and we she and i are very tight and very um good together so um we you know, I just work directly through her for the yeah. most part. Um, but yeah, her numbers are not usually as good over there, but I just, I got to pick my battles. Uh, aside so. of the pick the battles vibe, does it, are you heartbroken while it's happening? Like, how do you deal with it? Cause if you told me right now that I mm-hmm. couldn't text my daughter and tell her that her blood sugar was 139 and I wanted it to be 85, <laughs> then, um, mm-hmm. I would, I, I would have, um, I, I believe what they call Ajana the entire time. Does it bother you? <laughs> I, um, yeah, it does. Yeah. But I also have to just kind of choose to let some stuff go. Um, I mean, there was one time a couple weeks ago, I was just infuriated. She was over 400 for six hours. Oh and, gosh, yeah. um, I couldn't reach her and, or she was with the girlfriend and she hates being around her and she doesn't want to talk to her. And, um, she didn't want to answer the phone cause she didn't want to talk to me in front of her, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's just this whole ordeal. So, um, her dad and I don't talk a lot. Mm-hmm. But I did end up reaching out. Uh, we use a court-ordered app, our family wizard. Um, I reached out through that, and I kind of was pretty straightforward. I'm like, this is unacceptable. She needs to do this. She needs to do that. Um, you know. And he's like, oh, well, I just, I just now, after I reached out to him, just check ketones. She's fine. She feels fine. 
Um, she forgot to dose her cereal this morning. We've been chasing the numbers ever since. This was mm-hmm. six and a half hours later. Yeah. I'm like, um, you, you don't chase a missed bowl of cereal for six and a half hours. <laughs> I don't want to misrepresent why you're here. And then, but you just said something now. I have to tell you, I'd mm-hmm. stop this recording right now and then say the words to you court ordered app and then let you talk for an hour because I really <laughs> would love to understand what that is. More importantly, I'd love to hear the story about how you got to it, but that's neither here nor there. So we're not oh, doing yeah. that. <laughs> but I, yeah. I'm imagining something that when you look back on, you both cringe and laugh. That's all I'm saying. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I cringe and laugh. He probably uh, cringes and doesn't laugh, <laughs> has, has, has anger. But <laughs> I gotcha. My God. It's crazy. Yeah, a whole other story. Yeah, yeah, that's not why you're here. But you fascinated me when you used the words court-ordered app. I was like, oh, my God, there's such a story behind that. <laughs> yeah. Don't tell uh, me. It's, the people. it's been a rough road. I'm sorry. Bitter no. or better. No. I am really – I am – Super sorry to hear it. I grew up like, um, you know, in, in a divorced house and, uh, I understand all the serious parts of it. And I don't understand. I, I do want to ask you this one question. You don't have to elaborate, but if you're comfortable answering, mm-hmm. do you think the diabetes make it harder to be married? Yes. So that is a great question. I love to analyze and, you know, think about stuff. So I, would never want my daughter to feel this way, but I feel, you know, big battles in our lives either bring us closer or break us up. And I felt, um, with her and me and even my son, he's an amazing support for her and he adores her. I mean, it's strengthened the family significantly. And my ex for the first year was all on board. And I mean, we were a team of four. We battled this. We're doing great. Um, He has a history of mental illness and stuff like that. After about a year, he just kind of tanked. And I feel it led to a lot of troubles within himself and within us. And it just went downhill, downhill, downhill from there. So, yeah, unfortunately, I think... um, that first year, it was just this almost weird blessing. I, I don't want to call it that, but it was, I mean, we were tight and nothing would stop us and we were upbeat. We weren't one of those families that, you know, just kind of break down in tears every day about this. We were like, we got this. Yeah. We can do it. Um, we're going to do it good. I immediately got involved with JDRF and um, that's progressed to the point of like a board a seat on the board. And, you know, my, my daughter and I do tons of advocacy and I mean, it's, it's become like a new way of life and, and for her and me, we've stuck to it, but I, it, it spiraled for him. And I think that affected his mental well being and our marriage and everything. So, yeah, I'm sorry. Is, is there, um, is there autoimmune on either your side of the family or his? Yeah. So no type ones. Well, there were no type ones. I have uh, two or three autoimmune conditions, celiac, and then a rare one called polymyositis, and then little stuff like Raynaud's and eczema and stuff like that. Um, my mom had scleroderma. My aunt had lupus and Crohn's, um, tons of autoimmune. And my daughter was diagnosed with hypothyroid at the same time as diabetes. Um, and she doesn't know it, but her blood work last week showed a high celiac antibody. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so I, I have to deal with that. Mm. But, um, and then my 
her dad's side had none. But interestingly enough, um, a young child was diagnosed on his side. And it is his half sister's granddaughter. So I don't know if there's some genetic stuff there, but that's, she was diagnosed uh, within the year last this year. Um, you know, so I don't know if there's any sort of link there, but the reason I yeah. asked initially is because I've, uh, I'm starting to get a, a a larger number of people who come on to talk about that they have type one and they're bipolar, and it started making Ooh. me wonder if bipolar was autoimmune. And there are some writings that seem to feel like it may be, and and I thought, oh. I, thought I was so interested by that when you said that, but um, interesting, yeah, yeah. Well, that that could relate to her father. <laughs> so I just was like, I was like it's oh, all his fault. He has it. <laughs> Finally, we've, we've proven it. Um, but uh, do you come from like uh, an Irish background ish? Do you have any, a lot of that? No, uh, I'm, I'm Swedish and German. Um, he's a mix of everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. Type ones. Is it, is Sweden, is Sweden one of those places where it barely exists or where it's prevalent? I I'm looking good somewhere. good question, but I feel like it's low. Most common chronic diseases affect children. Yeah, type one diabetes is one of the most common chronic diseases that affect children in Sweden. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, good to know. Let's see, I just I after you talk to enough people about this over and over again, you just start seeing connections. You know, like mm-hmm. cer- certain backgrounds, certain uh, places on the globe. Like it just you know. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like that you've got a number of, of autoimmune and that your daughter might have celiac. Does she show any symptoms? No. Uh-uh. So interestingly enough, you know, they screen her what, once or twice a year for all that stuff. Um, she had one of the antibody levels was high. Oh, three or four years ago. And um, it was kind of a rough patch of time as a family. And I was also switching her pump. Um, I think that's when we went from Animus to Medtronic and, mm-hmm. you know, she was relatively young and she wasn't symptomatic. And I talked to her doctor, I'm like, can we like get over this hurdle of the pump and, you know, just take a few months to kind of settle back down and then we'll address it. She said, sure. So by the time we got around to considering scoping her, she's like, you know what, let's run blood work again. And her values are normal. Okay. So we never lie. scoped. Yeah. But I, I feel like she's been on that trajectory. I'm 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 an optimistic person, but I'm a realist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um I kind of in the back of my mind, she's just been on that trajectory and it's coming. Yeah. And so yeah, I haven't um heard from the doctor yet um about the blood results, but they post um online and I thought, oh no, here we are again. Pretty soon. And I haven't told her. <laughs> yeah, I would um, think that's not going to be fun. I yeah, I've had to tell my kids a number of medical things, and it's heartbreaking leading up to it. And then yeah, then you got to be that cheerleader and and help them get through it the whole way. And it takes months for it to like sit in and yeah, it's hard to, hard to talk yourself. I kind of feel, and maybe you know, grass is greener. I don't know. I I have celiac, like I said. You know, I would rather have type one than celiac. I can handle a needle. I can handle carb counts and it, granted I, I'm not living it like she is. So right. that's probably a very flippant thing to say, but um, you know, the celiac it's, I'm so ultra sensitive and she is such a picky eater, mm-hmm. such a picky eater. Um, it, it's going to be super rough if she has to go gluten-free and 
um, I don't know. Well, I have I have a number of um a number of episodes with people who really leaned into it and did a great job with it and, and would now tell you it doesn't impact their life in any of the ways that you're scared of. So the celiac yeah, stuff. Yeah, it's doable, See, I, I guess. I mean, I just, I don't know. I mean, I'll, I'm not one of those celiacs that like are afraid to eat out or anything, but I am really leery because I'll have them flag my meal and, and I'll still get sick. And, um, you know, it makes it kind of, difficult to work or difficult to leave the house or, you know, it's just, uh, I, I just, I hate the unknown and the, the, um, you know, no, I can't imagine, but I do think I understand what you're saying. Like the idea, like at some point you might just take a bite of something that throws your days off, like not just a couple of hours. Right. But a a, a stretch of time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I get, I get crazy sick and I can't even pinpoint where, but I know it's, gluten because i feel a certain way for gluten exposure and it doesn't have to be like one time early on i kind of forgot i was cooking hamburgers on the grill for the kids and all their friends and you know next thing i know i had eaten a hamburger on a bun and i'm like oh my gosh what the heck am i doing i didn't get out my buns or i'm like oh oh i was so so sick but I mean, that was a big exposure, but just small stuff like, you know, I, I can tell when it's gluten exposure versus just, you know, a little right. flu or a little, yeah. you know, too much coffee or, you know, whatever. And, and it's, it's unexpected and it's frequent and it's, so I just dread with her picky eating and her social life and her. Well, uh, well, does she see, I mean, she obviously sees you live this way. Does it, does it look burdensome to her through your eyes um it does but she's super supportive like um like if i make something gluten-free i i don't have a gluten-free household i feed them and me separately sometimes um but if i make something gluten-free she wants to try it she never likes it but (laughs) um so she's very supportive she thinks it's um unfortunate but um, I think she uh, feeds off of my, you know, I'm not one to like, woe is me. I'm going to have a pity party and right. my life sucks. And so I think she realizes it's just another burden in life. And, you know, what doesn't break us makes it strong, makes us stronger. And, you know, I remind her that I'm healthier for being gluten-free because that's what I need. And, right. You know, she's okay with it. But yeah, it, it'd be a whole other story if it's her. <laughs> yeah. All of a sudden she's like, uh, listen, I know we were rah-rah on you, but for me, uh, boo-hoo. <laughs> like I would I would feel that way, you know. I think any yeah. I think anybody feels that way when something is kind of quote unquote taken from them. But mm-hmm. you know, it sucks to I mean that you've got the experience that you're not, you know you're not having a great time of, of, of the celiac. So it's not like, you know what I mean? It's not like you're like, Oh, I've got it all straight and it works great. And I never get sick. And I'm sure it happens to everybody. And, and she's seen, that. Yeah. you're right. She's not going to have a great uh, reaction. I do not. Uh, I, I'm sorry for you that you're going to have to uh, give her that. News. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we'll see. It yeah. was, it was mildly elevated and just one value, but I just, Oh yeah. gosh, this poor girl. I understand. <laughs> I really do. 
it sucks. Um, I, I have to tell you, I really appreciate this. I, I did not know how this was going to go. Um, but I just want to ask you just a couple of drill down questions at the end. So the people who sure. dogs like, so, uh, one more time, like what would people notice in their pets that would make them feel like they have diabetes? Um, so pretty similar. I mean, lots of thirst, um, accents in the house, sometimes vomiting, definite weight loss. So all the kind of the same things really. Okay. Um, lethargic. Yeah. Okay. Same stuff. All right. And then they go to you and say, I'm seeing what looks like diabetes. You do a quick test, um, I guess. And then they're on their way. Yeah. So for most of these people, diabetes isn't on the radar. They're just like, Hey, it doesn't feel good. He's been laying around. And then yeah. a lot of times they don't mention that they're drinking like crazy, but I have my list of questions for every sick patient, like how, you know, water consumption up or down, any vomiting, any, you know, and I check a weight and I almost always know, I mean, there's a distinct difference between say a cat and kidney failure and a diabetic cat. Like there's, there's just a drastic difference but similarity they both drink more right um you know so i tell them well i you know i usually do a full blood panel we run it in house we have results in half an hour I'm like i'd like to check the kidneys and the blood sugar and some other stuff let's see what's going on and wow. you know there it is cool uh well i really appreciate this i'm gonna um say thank you and stop and sure. then i have something i'm gonna tell you personally that i think your daughter might like that comes through the podcast. So I'm not going to bother the people listening because they already know. Uh, but okay. I want you to know and you can do whatever you want with it. So thank you very, very much for doing this. It was uh, delightful. No, I My appreciate pleasure. It. You were very flexible with time and everything. And, and I appreciate that very much. Sure. Yeah. No problem. All right. A huge thanks to Carrie. Carrie, what am I doing? I... Carry, 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 carry. Jesus, this is what happens when you let me do this late at night. A huge thanks to Carrie for coming on the Carrie. I fucked it again. A huge thanks to Carrie. Carrie, Carrie. A huge thanks to Carrie. Carrie, what the? F A huge thanks to. How do you sell? Oh my god, I just talked myself out of saying her name. A huge thanks to Carrie. I don't even know. I'm. Oh, forget it. I give up. I could go back and listen to her say it again. It might be something to do with her Midwest accent. I can't tell you. But one way or the other, I really appreciate her coming on. And it's late at night, so cut me a break. A huge thank you to one of today's sponsors, Gvoke Glucagon. Find out more about Gvoke Hypopen at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juice box. You spell that G-V-O-K-E-G-L-U-C. A-G-O-N dot com forward slash juice box. I'd also like to thank the Contour Next One blood glucose meter. I know it's not really a person. I can't thank the meter, but, you know, it's the Contour Next One blood glucose meter. That's what you're supposed to know about, but it's made by Ascensia. So if I was really thanking somebody, I'd be like, I'd like to thank Ascensia. Then you'd be like, who in the hell is Ascensia, Scott? which is why I just say I'd like to thank the Contour Next One blood glucose meter. Check out those second chance test strips. By the way, the, the meter itself, it, it might actually be cheaper to buy in cash than to, than other meters are through your insurance. That's like another thing you can find out of that website. The website rocks. Contournext.com forward slash juice box. Head over and take a look around. 
while making the ads for this episode, I learned about myself that if you come on the podcast and say to me, hey, Scott, tell me what you think about people who scam people on Facebook and try to get them to buy T-shirts. I could probably rant and rave about it for about 40 minutes, which I didn't know until just now. I'm assuming you know. You were like, oh, yeah, that's not surprising to me, Scott. But to me, it was surprising. I was like, huh, I have a lot of feelings about this. (laughs) Yeah, right. That's pretty much it. See ya.